so uh, Palmy, he's a smart guy. She's just the least interesting, most important character in the book. We eat it. That's kind of shitty. I know, I feel bad after talking shit to Siri sometimes. Okay, now we're just straight into a sci-fi podcast. It's kind of upsetting that he becomes sort of more bumbling as soon as a woman shows up. (sighs) You make me sad, Polly. Hello and welcome to the Emotive Pixels podcast. Today it's a special book review episode. We're reviewing Drew Capertian. Capertian? We're reviewing Mr. Drew's Mass Effect (laughs) Revelation. Sounds right. Are you sure? I don't don't know. They're all like standard action subtitles. And Revelation. Okay, good. It is a book that is about Mass Effect characters. The name is particularly confusing because... In Audible, there are two of them that just say Mass Effect without a subtitle, That's and it's like... Uh, also, isn't this the first Mass Effect book? Yes. And mm-hmm. Revelation's the last book of the Bible? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Also possibly confusing. Sounds like a conspiracy <laughs> to me. <laughs> With me here today is... Will Atkinson. Alberto Regerman Favon. And Pauli Kroll. Hey, hey, why why in the world will we do a book review? That sounds weird. The books oh, are it, dumb. it relates to this video game series that's called Mass Effect. Have what? you heard of it? <laughs> I don't think anyone here has ever heard of it. Not at all. We've heard that it's kind of a big deal. So Maybe yeah. it has a mass yeah. effect on people. Well, it, me, it is officially no, part of a uh, tie-in to the game. So. so it's released after the game series, but it's prequel. This one is a prequel. Yeah. Prequel to the first game. And then are the other two? So books? just kind of a small spoiler warning. We'll yeah. try only we to spoil things spoil in this Mass book. Effect. We might talk on some of the topics that come up in Mass Effect One, but we won't go too much further. Yeah, I don't that. think it'll be massive spoilers, but there is related stuff that's interesting. Tell me about John Grisham. <laughs> uh, he's an author, I believe. Uh, okay, great. Now tell me about John Grissom. It, he's in the book. Oh, what, what is? What, who is he in the book? He is uh, Mr. Military Hero who was one of the first people, I believe, to do the Mass Effect jump to an unknown sector? Yep. Yeah. System? Yep. System? Sector? One of those things? So basically, he's the first guy to be dumb enough to throw himself through a Mass Effect relay. He's like yeah. the Colonel O'Neill of the Stargate program. Colonel O'Neill was the first, yeah. uh, m- among the out. first human that went through the yeah, uh, sure. gate. There's a whole thing in Season 8, but, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> that's not from the original storyline. That was it was done well, yes, but well anyway. I actually started this book while I was grocery shopping in a QFC and I have to walk by the books and they were talking about one of the Grishams, either Grisham or Grisham, and I saw a book by the author Grisham, so I thought just thought found that hilarious. That's awesome. You're like, <laughs> so is this an ARG? Very good timing. So without getting into it too deeply, the Mass Effect team in general likes to bring in like actual astronauts and stuff so i like how they take our history real real world history and bring it up to a certain point and so there's still stuff in our world which is relevant to the mass effect world but then they go on and take the next steps into so you don't mean like as consultants you mean like as fictional sources or uh, fictionalized sources so there's like um uh first guy on the moon buzz aldrin buzz aldrin and is Lance Armstrong? At least yeah. Lance Armstrong is slightly different. 
<laughs> I hope that was sarcastic. Yes. Neil, okay, good. Neil Armstrong. Yes. I think yeah. you were going for it. <laughs> Same family. First guy to land on the moon with one ball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've got a hard While doing a wheelie on his, his bike. ride a bike there. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. There are other astronauts which do play uh, slightly relevant roles in the rest of the Mass Effect series, too. I think I like it that it's uh, they treat astronauts with reverence i think it's kind of cool i agree that is cool so he kind of he's kind of like an old retired military figure grissom in this in the beginning and the opening of this book we also run into lieutenant anderson who is green as fuck <laughs> i thought it was a good intro for him though like how he's kind of being interviewed about a possible mission assignment mm-hmm. and then it jumps forward a little ways we're talking about I do the, uh, like the that, epilogue right uh prologue prologue, prologue that's what i meant sorry I do like that they talk about how Anderson is just like super quick on his feet and he's got the answers to crazy off the wall situational stuff that there's no way he could know about just like instantly. And he's thinking about like the ramifications of what what it means to Earth on a larger scale, like almost immediately. I think that's a really interesting way to think about Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. He's a smart guy. It was kind of hard for me to picture young Anderson after playing the beginning of the game with old Anderson. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I had to... He grew on me a little bit, and then I started to hate him, but we'll get to that. So if you, if you don't remember, Anderson is like the one one or two characters that comes from the game into the book, or vice versa, depending on how you're looking at it. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in general in a minute. But first, we'll talk about Saren, who is a Turian, who yeah. is kind of an asshole, clearly no conscious conscience, all ruthless, like, logical sort of... <laughs> Definitely a specter. We should talk more about his yeah Except morality that, that's later. Not really true because he's got emotions and goals of his own. Yeah, I, I want to say he doesn't have a conscience. He knows wrong and right. He just makes justifications and so, has different. So I think we're going to talk more yeah, detail we'll about the character about a little later. We have Scar, who's a giant Krogan battle tank that dies. Spoiler Scar- alert: Scar's the man. And we have Edan Hadar. I think that was his last name. Sounds about right. Who is a Batarian four-eyed businessman? But like the evil kind who gets into sort of actual four eyes alien. Yeah. Yep. Not not glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the plot of the book revolves around a research facility on Sidon. 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 Uh, and its purpose is just generally an alliance research facility. But it turns out that it is researching AI, which has been banned by. The council. Yeah, the council, because of the Geth and their experience with... What were the machines they created called? The you mean Geth. the Geth? The Geth. You're thinking yeah, of the Corians created the Geth. Yep. But okay. more than just... The Geth is just an example of it, but it's more just everybody... Every scientific figure kind of believes that... The singularity is a bad thing. Yeah, creation yeah. of AI will mean our doom. Right. Okay. So. so that is a central plot point of the book. Do you want to just go into that right now? So the Solarians who are really only present in the book through the council, if I remember right. They yeah. talk about how it's really only humanity that thinks we would need to destroy them. That They think that they could probably like start diplomatic relationships if, if a AI were to come into power, right? I, see, I feel like that makes way more sense. I kind of was down on the book's proposition that AI would immediately be rogue and unmanageable. I remember what they were... The first time that they were really talking about it was the idea that if an AI species, like a true AI species, was to be created, it, not that necessarily it would 
retaliate, but that it would learn exponentially it? Yeah, it and it would wisdom. surpass any species that exists knowledge. So then you start looking at humans seeing that as, oh shit, we can't let anybody be smarter, smarter than us because they'll probably want to attack us, which they might have been the only people that would have thought that way. Well, the humans yeah. were the ones that were working on it, and it was the council that said that had the specialists that said it's banned pretty much, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like council law that, yeah. that nobody should ever do this again because of their experience with the Koreans. But it is right. hinted that people are working on it anyway, obviously. Right. It's bad to work on AI, but people do so, it. They talk about the a big artifact that yes. is found, and that they kind the... of imply that it's something from the artifact, which is like its own AI, which is corrupting controlling a ship, right? all these people's minds to get them to recreate another AI. So it's almost like it's trying to recreate itself through other people. Mm-hmm. Did it say that or did, did it just say that the AI that was controlling the ship, which it kind of implied was the artifact itself, that had created a field around itself that drove them mad? I guess it did. It was kind of bothersome to me that it waited so long to find out what the artifact was. Not until the epilogue, it actually tells you what the, yeah. the artifact was. But then, I mean, it does it directly says that the scientist whose name I can't remember, the main scientist that was working on the project, was obviously becoming mad and or changing at least. And also, the, the Batarian Edan was also changing his kind of outlook on life and his priorities and things like that after right visiting. after exposure. Yeah, Saren mentions that he wants to be real careful about that. Yes, because the end, the culmination of the book is him announcing that it's his goal to con- like harness it for his own and like take control of the universe and mm-hmm. save the Turians from having to be on the council, which is kind of sort of uh, grandiose. I think it's so. Alberto's, you've played through Mass Effect One, right? Not all the way. I d- I did the blasphemous thing of playing through all of Mass Effect Three before playing Mass Effect or Mass Effect Two. That's yeah, so, so amazing. So I'll try to keep it relatively light but it turns out that big artifact is named sovereign and it plays a huge role in mass effect one in general and actually mass effect two if i remember right well yeah i had a a, feeling because that's that's the ship that Saren is on yeah don't talk about it too much right sorry yeah cool but that that is Saren's ship that shows up in the the book don't they reference don't they say that sovereign is a ship they talk about it being a ship. I don't think they ever name it in the book. Okay. Does anybody I feel like know a, the different the gap in time between the book and the beginning of the first game? It's pretty short because, well, I don't know. Saren's kind of long lived. So say we know years, that, but I didn't bother to actually look it up. So we know that Anderson is nearing retirement age by the time the game starts. Or I mean, he's like an admiral at the time, so he's like nearing the end of his career. So he goes from the beginning of his career to the end of his career. So you so can guess like 20, that that's 30 20, 30 years. Yeah. yeah. Also, Saren and Sovereign play a big role in the game but they also mentioned that Saren's totally cool with just wiping everybody out and starting afresh and being super patient yeah so that's that's what yeah. i was, so 20, I was 30 years how long he like. actually waits to kind of learn this ship artifact thing and start using it for himself if we were really good i'm sure the 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 log or whatever in the game would tell you exactly what year it was and i'm sure they mentioned exactly what year it is in the book yeah. and I, I could probably look it up but that's right. I mean, yeah. I'm just bringing it up that the the lore guys in the Mass Effect are like super precise. They're like, and on this year, this happened. The first contact war happened on exactly this year, et cetera, and so forth. And I liked in this book how they discuss more of the first contact war than what you get in the in the first game. 
Um, they go into greater detail, not just uh, what happened with the first contact war, but also different races' feelings towards it and how, which is how the humans first made their way into the galactic consciousness or whatever. The pecking you know? order. Yeah, when they were first introduced through this war. So I, I thought it was real interesting learning more about that in this book. Yeah, there's a lot of speciesism brought up in here. Which I guess it, it kind of seems politics, specific yeah, right. to Turians and humans. It, there wasn't a lot of it discussed in regards to anyone else, but I guess those were the main characters. Alberta had a problem with it as, as it was referred to as they talked about the Krogan, right? Yeah, at least the narration for it was odd because even after we had already been introduced to, and the one that stuck out the most was Scar. We'd been introduced to Scar, and it wasn't even in the same chapter. We had already known about him for multiple chapters and there would still be times every now and then where the narration would say the Krogan did this blah 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 then all of a sudden Scar did this and the first time that it happened earlier on I thought wait is there another Krogan now that they're going to introduce and they just kept talking about Scar so I wanted to say why didn't you just say his name or even he because it would have it would not have been confusing to say that well they did talk about him sometimes like from somebody's perspective who doesn't yet know who he is like when he first comes into the house nobody knows who he is and they keep referring to him as the krogan at that point because that i I thought fair so the the other thing i was thinking of is he is not only just a krogan but he's a krogan battle master which is kind of a big honorific title also the fact that he's a one and very very few if not the only yeah. person that has biotic so he's abilities. that is super unique and special and I, I don't think that there is another one in the entire series yeah yet so that that is one thing that really made him special as a character having just recently started playing through mass effect with will i um kept relating him to the there was a Rex. battle we recently did oh against a Krogan Battlemaster. And like, generic Krogan Battlemaster. Yeah, some yeah. generic one. But I kept like relating them to each other. The first conversation he had, you have with him, and he pretty much just wants to fight, and that's all he's about. So, so I think it's interesting in that fight, and in, in the game in general, basically they have a second health bar after they die. Mm-hmm. They have like a, a double circulatory system or something crazy. Some, some in-game There's explanation a, a for why they always come back after they, they their health drops to zero. Right. And I thought that that... There's totally a scene in this game where he gets shot in the heart. He's like, like gored his through. His chest yeah. is all like bubbling massive. And gore. he's like, Ugh! and then he stands back up and starts fighting yeah, again. When yeah. they, they try going through his pockets to get the keys. Yeah, I thought that was pretty bold of them anyway. Yeah, man. We forgot to mention one character. Can you guess who? Kali. Kali. I noticed yeah, that. The I, least interesting I thought character. you might be saving her for something. No, <laughs> the, she's just the least interesting, most important character in the book. I was That's really excited when she was her. introduced. And she fights back against uh, the uh, fake military police that comes after that, her and everything like that. Yep, that was the beginning of the down her downfall for me. I was Tell like, us about it, Will. Well, I guess to begin I with, so she was a, a researcher at the facility that the book revolves around, and she was described as like quiet and nerdy. And then someone shows up to kick to take her, and she, or however she gets in a battle, and she just like kicks ass. I didn't see. She wasn't described at that point as nerdy or anything like that. They didn't even talk about how she was a computer programmer yet at that point. I felt like that's they how talked she was... about her as being a researcher from this yeah, that yeah. site. I guess they the fact that explicitly said out that she wasn't. Yeah, the fact that she could like single-handedly destroy an MP. I'm using air quotes because you can't see it. Um, it's a good <laughs> podcast tactic. Yeah, <laughs> she single-handedly beat up this MP. It basically incapacitated this dude. 
with her hands tied behind her back. Yeah, well, I disagree because like, the like, way she uh, did it, it, it was believable. She caught him off guard. She headbutted him and broke his nose, and then she just didn't stop kicking him until he would didn't stop moving. She like broke his hand and everything like that. I didn't think that it made her a super person or anything like that. The it idea that she would ridiculous. do that to an MP seems ridiculous. The idea that it was a a mercenary could a mercenary. could <laughs> could be more believable in my mind. Maybe you just hired a really shitty mercenary. Uh, maybe, but any mercenary worth his weight is not going to let himself be taken by one hit. So I mean, if it was a guy researcher, it would, he could have beat him up without any problem. No, uh-oh, no, uh-oh. That's not where we're going. <laughs> it had nothing to do with the gender. It's just, it's just like, that, like if I described Will, I was like, Will is a a lead researcher at this AI research base. He got himself handcuffed in an alley. It was a bad scene. Guess what happened next? Under no like circumstance, he used the force to force push <laughs> yeah. somebody. Like that's slightly what? more believable. <laughs> yeah. See, my problem was all right. It's I thought it was fine that she beat the crap out of him but then every other part in the book she's completely weak and helpful helpless and can't do anything for herself yeah like okay. they, they yeah. introduce her and like at that point in yeah, the book like i was like right oh, off the maybe bat. she's a badass like they never said she wasn't a badass she she's had military training and everything like badass. that but then like after that she can't stop crying at any chance she's given or anything like yeah. that that's this what summer about her. the book movie that feels like a series of video game plots <laughs> 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 Starring boring, I mean, Lieutenant Callie Anderson. Wait, no, not no, Callie sorry, Anderson. That, I'm, uh, I'm doing. What did they call it? Oh yeah, shipping. I'm doing shipping. Sorry. I liked the narration in the book, except for her voice. Like at some point, he changed her to have a little bit of a southern twang, twang to her voice. Really? So I was like, what, what, what's going on with that? I thought that was weird too. I did not pick up on that. AI in general has always really intrigued me, and the, the way that, that this book talked about ai was very negative yes but not in the same way so i guess just start out with this but so my dad used to be a huge lover for ai or like the idea of ai being a thing but then we were having a discussion about it one day and we came to this i guess agreement or like <laughs> common thought that if we were to actually achieve true ai i mean the whole like our society is basically built on let's have machines help other tasks that we want to have done better or faster so that we can do other things like so essentially quote unquote using machines and if we were to create machines with actual ai to do that that's essentially bringing in slavery again on machines if you consider that like if if it was an actual true ai so the book describing ai as a oh shit it's going to be better and learn more and basically surpass us that's why we shouldn't do it i just thought that was really interesting coming into it from my previous mindset of what would happen if we actually did create ai that is interesting i took it as there's pretty much all the top researchers in the field are realizing if we create ai it's going to immediately realize that it's better than all of us and want nothing to do with us because most life is terrible (laughs) do humans feel that way about the rest of the life on the planet i mean we eat it that's kind of shitty. Can we eat robots? Yum, yum, yum. I don't know if you, how much you guys are paying attention to this stuff, but there's a lot of these conversations going on with yes. our current technological advancement. Everybody's like you look in at, it. it took humans hundreds of thousands, at least tens of thousands of years to get to being as sophisticated as we are. And we are nearly to the point of making singular intelligences that can be roughly as intelligent as we are and that's all of in like 40 years so the idea that you took continued advancing 
computers at the rate they're advancing 10,000 years from now, the idea that, that, that we would even remotely still be relevant um, seems kind of silly almost. But yeah, actually. Yeah. Well, do you think that we'll... Tran- okay, now we're just straight into a sci-fi podcast. <laughs> do you think that we'll eventually transfer ourselves into m- bodies that are non-organic? Uh, Sign me up. I don't know about the transfer piece. That, there's a lot of... I start looking at like the magician stuff. Like if you have an exact clone of yourself and then you kill the original. I would love to know the answers to those kind of questions. I I know I feel bad after talking shit to Siri sometimes, but she doesn't even even take an apology. Echo. I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Understands. But even, even in that example, if you even think about that, that's actually even a little bit twisted because a programmer basically told the machine, right, this is how you were going to respond. For. Echo, who you, made you? I was invented by Amazon. Yeah, and Will is Amazon. So <laughs> Can it's you like, ask her? She, does, Echo, what does Amazon comprise of? Amazon.com Incorporated, often referred to as simply Amazon. Is an American electronic company with headquarters in Seattle. Does this come as advertising? Yes. (laughs) This is a huge plug. We're totally getting our money. (laughs) That brings me to our next point. This podcast is brought to you by (laughs) (laughs) Audible.com. Before we lose Alberto, I did want to bring up, because you did bring up about the Krogans. What I thought about this book is the uh, Batarians. I thought, like, I don't don't know enough about. Mass Effect, yeah. I'm still new to the series, and I'm playing through the first game first, even though I've wanted to for a long time. But I don't know if it's part of Mass Effect's lore that the Batarians are kind of looked down upon, like they're a non-Citadel race and everything like that. But like everybody in this book is like, whenever something goes wrong, they're like, oh, it's probably the Batarians. <laughs> I and feel they're, they're like... I, even the, the Batarians that- are like... Pre- portray themselves as like terrible like oh it's probably the fucking batarian <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we probably did the, it <laughs> who are the people that run like the shops and the gambling in the star trek universe like quark and ds9 what, what's this oh race? the um ferengi ferengi, yeah, ferengi. i feel like I've, I, I made some random link between the batarians and the ferengi in my mind i would not yeah. like from even from i mean from since i've done or since i've played mass effect 3 more than mass effect i would kind of agree with that. like from what i saw in mass effect 3 that's a pretty apt description if you've ever watched Star Trek. I was more comparing so, the Volus to the Ferengi. But oh, okay. Yeah, they're more kind of a traitor race. And but, they're all about like... Oh, but they're, they're not like those sly, are, the short, are they? Yeah, the round, round ones. guys, right? Yeah. yeah they look like that goals. was neat, though, what they said about the Batarians, how they have the two sets of eyes and they use that because you don't know what eyes to look at. So they that use is cool, that yeah. To um, like so a, gain the upper hand in conversations and things like that. Should we talk about the audiobook narrator? Is that worth mentioning besides the southern twang of Kali that developed halfway through he was good he was unnotable to me yeah he wasn't bad so will we've talked before about how you're not a good judge of voice voice. acting i feel like you must be a master judge of audiobook narration i don't know he think about the words i i can i really quickly get into just like whoever's voice him okay why didn't you like the library at mount char because i loved her i didn't like her at least not to start she just uh something about her voice like kind of grated on me but in general it was the fact that it was a woman yeah that's no <laughs> i know i'm just kidding totally no, her get... voice could be grating at times but i thought there were the best times to be grating so that's why i liked her uh, that checks out the guy who narrated the name of the wind was freaking amazing and that I, was because it was freaking what's his face himself rothfuss did not rothfuss? read it oh i thought he did no it's a uh, it's this other guy oh but that guy is amazing and it's like 
I almost wanted to listen to all 40 hours of the book just to listen to this guy talk. Like, eh. but that's that's awesome. But from that, from him to wait, 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 you almost wanted to listen to the whole book. So is it a bad book? <laughs> no, I listened. It's a great, it's a great <laughs> book. But that's a good book. Yeah, 40 it, hours. It was almost even though nothing happens. Uh, a lot more happens in like ice and fire yes well that's true but that seems like a hard comparison anyway from him on one extreme to library mount tar on the far other side i think this guy was just randomly smacked up in the middle so library mount tar is like point? one of your worst that's amazing i think she of all of the narrators i think she's by the well, way you should totally read or listen to that book it sounds i i'm my more brother of a reader just finished it and my sister's finishing her second go around so we could talk about it like next week or something Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> why Ugh. we could delve into a separate book club podcast right now uh the author of this book drew Capri Cap- 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 carpesian carpesian i don't know where that came from i think that's a region no sounds like carpathian a is the antichrist in the left behind books okay nikolai carpathian I think that's straight out of like <laughs> that's straight out of I like think. I didn't read I didn't read them I, I don't know like, really hypothetical have, like my all friend this, like, autodidact pronunciations on here <laughs> <laughs> okay um and then she picked up the k knifey <laughs> rude what so he has a role in the the actual storytelling within Bioware right uh yeah I believe he's one of the main isn't he one of the writers writers if I'm not mistaken yes cool He's one of the writers. All right. Well, that takes care of the uh, background information. <laughs> I want to talk about Ambassador Goyle's conversation with the council. Oh, yeah. That's exactly where I was going. Yep. Why, why don't you just go for it? Tell us about it. Actually, you want to give like a story synopsis? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of tried. I kind of worry, wondering about that as well. We... So in this book, there is a base on Sidon, Sidon that's doing classified alliance research that's and what a it, really good impersonation of what of the batarian right yeah <laughs> that's what <laughs> i heard yeah. Edan, haba, haba, daba, haba. one of the dialects haba. that the uh, narrator used oh really yeah. i didn't even know this completely oblivious in that facility what they're classifiedly researching is ai and that gets them in a lot of trouble with the council because that's illegal because of the geth and the koreans and the problems that have how much do I have to explain? Out. Can I the can I try it? Found out. Yeah, why, why don't you try it? This research station was attacked by somebody. It turns out it was the Blue Suns being hired by this guy, Edon. Uh, Edon, who the the main researcher was going, going crazy and started betray, betraying the humans. He was trying to help this guy get the research out of there. David Anderson and his special team get sent in to figure out to kind of rescue them after something's gone wrong. They get there just in the nick of time to figure out that the whole base gets blown up. After that, it skips forward a little bit, and Anderson's given a mission to figure out what the fuck went wrong. He's basically a human version of a Spectre at that point, which I think is kind of a nice parallel. Yeah, they, they make it out. He has a... He's not officially have a mission, but he has a mission. Yeah, and they're almost like, if you need to kill a Spectre, we'll I'm not saying you. you shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> So he basically follows Callie down through her father, who turns out to be Grisham. Da, 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 da. You Where just does that take left him? out that Callie's the reason she found out. She found out too much about the project, what they were doing, so she was going to report it. That's why they had to have the place blown up because they didn't want to have the research shut down. Yeah, that's why she's in hiding and everything. 
And so Anderson meets up with Kali. They're trying to get be able to clear Kali's name and yeah, they're trying to figure out why she looks hella suspicious because she time. left the day before the attack and Anderson believes her yep because she seems like a good person I guess yeah so there's a kind of a through line through all this where Saren is an actual con- council specter who kind of gets it in just in general specters are these like above the law guys who can do whatever the fuck they want to, to make sure that to ensure the help overall galactic welfare so he comes in and kind of starts butting his nose around gets the humans in trouble for doing this research and then eventually Callie gets captured anderson goes in to rescue her and then they all kind of own this the last refinery where anderson rescues Callie and saren uh figures out that the main researcher was doing he, this research he finds with him. the help of this artifact and so saren basically kills everybody and steals it from him yep Steals everybody. all the research, and his plan is to go capture the artifact and harness its power to free the Saren from. Or sorry, it's just because he likes power, he just wants power. Well, he wants to take the Turians out of the council and have them be strong and independent again. But that could easily yeah. be. I don't really approve of his goal. I wonder if other Turians approve of his goal. It seems like there's a lot of prejudice discussed definitely, in this book, but I don't definitely don't. like the ambassador. The ambassador's like super low, level-headed. The, yeah, the one, the sorry, the counselor, I guess. Yeah, I think I don't think Saren isn't like just a Turian. I think he's like a sociopathic, somebody who likes torturing others and sadist. Sadist. So um, he's he's got problems. And yeah, he has a, oh, a grudge man. against humans because his brother was killed in the first contact war, and he doesn't seem to have a problem with killing as many people as possible. Like in the conclusion of the book, he just kills as many innocent people. He doesn't have to kill any of them. He's just like they could be a problem. Let's wipe out men, women, and children. Yeah, he's. He sort of what, likes it. Well, let's look at it. Where do you think he would fit on the the D and D alignment? He's scale? chaotic evil. No, I. I, don't think I he'd definitely be chaotic not chaotic. Evil. I think he's evil. What's, he's either neutral or lawful evil. Well, I, well, oh, sorry. Lawful evil. It's just his his well, morals yeah. and like, his laws are made up in his own head. You know? yeah. It's kind of like he's. It's like true neutral almost. But not neutral in any neutral way. Just yeah. neutral because the other sides kind of cancel each other out. It, he's, I would say it's lawful because it's his own viewpoint that he's upholding. Like he thinks he considers what he's doing is good and right. So you think he's lawful good? Is that or lawful really what evil, evil means? Or lawful neutral? Okay, so you know, quick D and D. There's the two axes. One is chaotic neutral lawful, and the other one is good neutral evil. Right. Mm-hmm. Just having trouble placing him on your. So what is chart there? What does evil mean? It's where you disobey anyone. You're just if you disobey anyone's idea of morality, then that would be more towards like what chaotic is. So it's got to be like you disobey society's definition of evil, right? I, that's not what I think because I think chaotic would be like you do what, but like which society, you want, there's right? No reason there's, for it. Well, it, uh, okay, the there's one like that galactic societies. There's Turian societies. There's human societies. True. E- each had come to this with their own different moralities and what they think is important so yeah i think he's lawful evil the most evil i feel like personally i feel like he's lawful or he's he's like almost true neutral i'm thinking of things like when he the the human gets blown up right and so he's given the medicine to revive her even though it's probably a a good sign that she's gonna it's really bad idea for her that he should revive her, right? Oh, yeah. So he's like... He still does it. He does it because it's for the greater good. He might lose one person, but he could be saving billions of people, right? 
So it's like, okay, That's he does this calculus. Yes, but then he hangs out while she suffers and plays around with the syringe right, that but, put her back in a coma. But he, he, like, he had everything. He had the intention to actually fix her. Like, I don't think he did. I, I think he knew he exactly what he was doing and he enjoyed it. I think he enjoyed messing up the other guy. Oh, no, even specifically he, says he didn't enjoy doing it. He just had to. Who? The guy in that was trying to beat up the prostitute. Yeah, but what? no, that's just him. That's just him reasoning because his whole I've thing forgotten is that already. he doesn't he doesn't kill somebody without a reason, but he can always find a reason to kill somebody. So he's just justifying torturing these people. He likes torturing these people. He's doing it because he wants to, but he's justifying it. He's making up his reasons why it has like. There's no reason. I'm, I was fine with him torturing the dude that was gonna <laughs> torture that other girl, but the girl that was. Do you remember that scene? Do we need no. to re- replay it for you? Yep. This Batarian goes in and he's like, oh, I want a human girl because I'm going to make her pay. Yep. And okay. I yeah, want to beat her the up. Sec, the and, like fancy club scene. Yeah. Yep. But there, there was, and then he's like, there could be a reason wait, for him letting her suffer because he could. He, so he that was one of the like points where his good side the thing came where She could have been the one that tipped, that was the inside informant or something like that. Hold, hold on. Let me explain this one piece and then we'll come Sorry. right back to that. Um, after he beats that dude up because and gets all the information about the blue suns from him he's like and then he spends the rest of the night breaking every single bone in his body waiting for him to to regain consciousness so he can finish breaking the rest of the bones in the body and he's like i probably didn't have to break them all he gave me all the information but i just did it to make sure kind of thing I'm like what the fuck yeah, just to be sure and that's his that, there that's his justification i was just doing it to make sure but no he didn't he knew he didn't have to do that it was even hard work and everything. They're like, at some point, I had to put him on the bed because I was tired of bending down to break his bones. God, it's such a pain in the ass to break all this guy's bones when he's on the floor. Yeah. But wait, it, wait it a second. Sounds, the greatest idea. But just that sounds to me. more like a sociopath and yes. less like a. Yeah. Well, where do sociopaths and psychopaths fit on the but he's D&D a, a spectrum? Nice, like he's he's a nice. That's why I said he's a sociopath and a sadist because he it does seems like he's enjoys torturing these people. It sounds. It seems like. But he also talks about having, like, no feelings while he does it, which is, like, pure sociopath. Does he, though? Maybe maybe he has, like, an intellectual pleasure while no... Ha- it could be the way I'm reading into it, but to me it felt like he's he's saying he's not getting pleasure out of it, but he clearly is getting pleasure out of it. Like, that's possible. Yeah. For me, it was more like he knows what his mission is, he's going to go do his mission, and if that involves petting dogs, then sure, fine, he'll do that. If it involves... <laughs> murdering kittens he'll do that too he really doesn't yeah he doesn't to me, to me for him was, as long as he's getting his mission done it really doesn't matter what he's doing to me it was exemplified in how he explained to anderson you you have to be willing to kill these civilians because any of them could have a gun and they could get in the way of your mission yes that's a possibility but there's also many other possibilities like it's not it's a justification he's making and it's not necessarily logical Right. It, it feels like he's playing on a completely different scale than anybody he comes in contact with. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were like worried about are you gonna break my nails so I look ugly when I go to this the 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 bar tonight kind of thing and he's on like I need to do this because it's going to change the course of galactic civilization. Like he the idea that somebody running around this building has any relevance on the on the grand strategy level that he's thinking at is in in, in, in incomprehensible. Yeah. That's that's a good way to put it, actually. I mean, but it does seem like he thinks of himself that way, but it's compounded by some pretty sick interests underneath it and some pretty interesting self-motivated power quest. Like, he's not really... I think the epilogue shows us that he's not an all-good character. 
He's not motivated by the well-being or the preservation of the council. He's not a true specter. Well, I don't think you can be considered a true specter if you're secret there are motivation. Paragon and Renegade specters. That's like the whole point of them being above and beyond the council. But would they? Well, okay. And also, he could have changed. I don't know if it's ever explained how long he's been a specter. Is it possible he was a specter before the first contact war? Because they do live a long time, right? Uh, I don't think they really talk about how long the Turians live. If they weren't on the council, then would they be able to be a specter? Um, they do mention that... Weren't they not part of the council until the first contact war? No, they were. So that oh, them and the Asari thought... were the first two council races. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then the Solarians came third. And up until the humans, I think they say there are very few or no non-council race specters. Okay. I actually learned that through the book because they talked about how the Turians had to make reparations about the first contact war and it was how the council voted against their own people, the Turians, you know, so. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's, I, I still think he's really he's interesting, interesting to character. think about. Yeah. He's an interesting character. I don't know if we can easily pigeonhole him like that, especially just from this book. Cause it's, it's not even an introduction cause he was introduced in the game already. It's like a backstory of his introduction kind of thing. So I still think lawful without, evil sticks. Yeah, that's what I said. So yeah, sure. lawful evil might seem right. I could also see because he doesn't do it without a purpose. <laughs> He's like chaotic lawful, which is not <laughs> even a thing. <laughs> He's like he'll do anything he wants. He doesn't care to make sure that the law is upheld. It's like it. It's almost like morality doesn't even matter to me. That's why I feel like he's a sociopath almost. Like, good or evil is not a part of it. Doesn't quite apply. Yeah. So it's like he's true neutral. True neutral. But true neutral people usually don't enjoy torturing people, do they? Half the time. (laughs) (laughs) The law of averages. Okay. See, I disagree with that. I think a neutral person would do nothing in lots of situations. He's not lazy. Well, I'm not saying a neutral person is lazy. I'm just saying, like, they'd be... They would choose to remain neutral. Yeah. They would just... He would just be He's like, more, well, there's this war coming, so... It's like you guys the difference, figure it out. It's like the difference between a moderate and, and like, two extremes. I'm trying to like think of a neutral t- person in this game. Oh, you know who's a neutral person in this game? Is the author. The military <laughs> the book author. author. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, uh, Grissom. Yeah, Grissom. He, like... At yeah, this he's point, just he's like, oh, I'm just living he in my cabin. He doesn't give a shit. He's like, oh, I got shot. Just leave me here. You guys will be all right, right? Don't yeah, bring that me to the hospital. Out. You'll get in trouble. And Anderson so, can't even under, can't even fathom his neutrality. Yeah, is really kind of a way to frame their differences. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So that one's almost like. So so what's Anderson then? Like, and for that matter, good. what are you, Will? Lawful good, except I really had a problem with his whole collie love story thing in this book. Yeah, that was weird. It was. Just, and by oh, that man, you had, guys are going to love the next two books. <laughs> oh my god! Really? The problem I had was the meeting with the the meeting with Saren, where he lunges at him and tries to choke him. Uh, I understand, but I feel like he got he should be more in control. Like this whole book, he's like perfect soldier, and he's like very good at controlling his temper, and he has like good solutions, and he's a leader. And like, how good he did in the. The first mission. Yeah, carrying what's-her-face yeah. out. And yeah. You know what they should and add then, like, to basic training? He, he kind of falls in love with this girl after getting divorced, and then, like, he just throws his whole mission away. The, like, yeah, he's like... 
here's the most important thing you women. could become a specter yeah. oh but I'm a fuck that I'm gonna just rescue one human per- and sure like, he really <sighs> had no chance of becoming a specter with Saren but he didn't know that at that point like he could have tried harder to do a good, do good on this job I just had a lot it's of problems just, with that it's part. kind of upsetting that he becomes sort of more bumbling as soon as a woman shows up yeah yeah is, like, is another yeah like so, he literally so like, gets like his thrown down on the floor and his uh, half Nelson on him as soon as like <laughs> uh, although that does kind of show that Saren is a fucking badass and yeah. you know yeah. there's a reason that Saren has been a specter yeah. for as, and, yeah. as long as he has that, that was well, my problem with it like I thought Anderson was like almost on the same level as Saren until that point and maybe that's what the author was trying to do show Anderson wasn't ready to be a specter because maybe he wasn't or how he shocked just, he was when Kay- Callie hadn't revealed the whole truth to him yeah. yeah, yeah, I was that like, was what real you, dumb. Mm. The the way everything he everything he did up until he got to that house and meets Kali, and then it's just like he's a completely different person. All of a sudden, he's like love struck or something like that. I just I soft. Know. Yeah, light spoilers for Mass Effect One, and this is really what's coloring my opinion on Saren. Mm-hmm. Is like they talk about it in the book that sovereign's kind of got this mind control aspect and how it's bending everybody around him and in the book he they're like oh no he's gonna be super careful he's not gonna be he's not even gonna be anywhere near this thing by the time the game starts he's been corrupted by sovereign saren saren's been corrupted by sovereign and so he starts acting in its best interests instead of his own interests in the council and so from that point of view, he becomes, like, evil in the sense that, you know, he, nobody's, uh, none of our moralities he's, he's abiding right. by. Interesting. So but was he already so from doing that, that point, is what I'm not sure about. I don't know what his end goal is in the game yet, so I'm not sure. But to me, it's, it just seemed like a natural progression. Like, he, he has these thoughts and now he has this power, so he's going for it. But I don't know exactly what he's going for. So, I, I mean, you obviously know more than me. Yeah, I mean that that's that's why it's hard for me to to try and separate it. It's like in theory he hasn't yet become corrupt or started becoming corrupt from sovereign by the point the book takes place. But, but you can also start already, to see it. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. It's almost like exposure to the idea of sovereign is the is the thing that corrupts. I liked the way that it's explained by someone who I won't spoil in the game that the ship sovereign plays tricks on your mind. It has weird the ship is made of weird angles. Like, they just put... Yeah, it's a fucking uh, Cthulhu thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know. The, I thought it made a nice The ship had image. weird angles. Just just bad angles. <laughs> it's not comfortable yeah. to look at. So, that I think that was supposed to lead us into Ambassador Goyle's discussion with the council. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, there are basically two interactions between Goyle, who's the uh, human ambassador, and the council, which is the three races, the Turian, Salarian, and Asari. Yep. The first of which is when the council first learns that the humans were doing AI research. And so she's walking in there knowing she's going to be in Get fucking trouble. Fried, yeah. Right. And so I, I think that that's really interesting. And then it shows that like she's this, she, she on her own regard is this like really brilliant political mind. Like she's thinking about all the steps going through everything she knows that she got caught doing what she shouldn't have been her race got caught doing what they shouldn't be doing she's about to go get slapped down she's going over all the different ways that she could approach the situation and then one of the thoughts that is going through my head as she's talking about this is as 
is there something in the Mass Effect series where, like, all of the races, the species, have their own traits? This is the thing that makes them the thing they are. Like, Krogan are fighters, and Solarian are scientists, and Asari are, like, the ma- the matriarchs. Like, that is the thing that makes them, the, like, the loving, incorporate with everybody kind of race. Like, every race is, like, if this were a human... From a like a human centric point of view, this is the human emotion. This is the human trait, and then they are like the next level of that, right? Yep. And then her thoughts and my thoughts are both kind of along the same lines. Like, so what is it? What is the thing in this galactic civilization that the humans are the most of? And she poses aggression, right? Yeah. She. she, Well, I mean, she kind of worries that aggression is the answer. Well, yeah. Her first. Her first. uh, Like her battle plan or her political battle battle plan is like to to go on the offensive to to kind of attack to not go to defend not take it defensively or anything like that but i think the way she did it and the way she argued it is really cleverly she didn't just go in there and start swearing at people and telling them they're wrong right. and, and oh, stuff no. she realized that humans have the ability to technologically come up with the solutions that is the thing that in this series humans are the most or like the not quite like well maybe quarians now I'm thinking, like, uh, but Quarians are so, like, off on their own. But kind of like the Quarians, they're, like, the, the thing that humans are doing, they're going to have huge fleets. They're going to, you know, be there advancing really fast. That's the thing that is, like, the most human. It's one of the most important parts of the book, I thought. I mean, she says it right there. She, all of a sudden, she has a revelation. Uh, a subtitle hey, book. Hey. But she sees... Actually, that's really good. I didn't even think that, about that. Yeah. That humankind can actually... Like, like they obviously they've got made their way into the council, not the council yet, but you know council space. They're important there. They're taking over parts of the what's the big council ship? Oh, the, the citadel. citadel. The citadel. They're they're getting more jobs there and everything like that. And halfway through this actual meeting with the council, she's yeah, like, I, I like even she just she's re- like revelation where they're actually afraid of us. We. Have, I thought that was delusional. Uh, but then I, I, I sorry, know. just like when I read the line, I was like, ha. And then I kept reading. I was like, because ah, like she she makes a good point, and like yeah. I feel like that kind of puts humanity on this path that you know, in the chart. I like world. I like when she's like she talks to the CSEC guy. She's like, oh hey, it's a CSEC human because they're incorporating humans into the yeah. The, we the see more and more of them. But yeah. another part of the book, because that's what I thought a lot of this book was about, like relating humankind to these other races and stuff like that. Like there's a good scene in the bar after Anderson has his divorce where he's getting served drinks by the Volus guy, and pretty much the the Volus bartender is like saying like, oh that was know, a really classic good. bartender scene of what's wrong, buddy? Tell me your problems. Yeah, that was really good. And Anderson has has this thought where he's like it's it's funny to me how we, even though we have so many differences and everything like that everybody still has the same base emotions they can get sad they can get happy not everybody goes through marriage but they have something similar to that and they all feel hurt and things like i, I really know, liked when really important part of the book. i like when the part that i really liked was when he asked what, what's wrong it's like oh, i got a divorce i didn't even realize you were married and then Anderson realized therein lies the problem. Like he just has, he's come in all these times and he's talked about all of his problems, but it's never been about the woman he's married to. I thought that was one of the books, like moments like of brilliance. Anderson too. Yeah. So the first meeting goes pretty well. Goyle kind of secures sanctions against humanity, but not. But on her terms. Yeah. Because they were terms. trying to have uh, investigators come yeah, in. Like we were going to be policed. And- and see every single research project that humanity has, and it was it was kind of ridiculous. So, yep. I mean, 
after seeing her response, it was ridiculous when they were proposing them in the in the beginning. I was like, well, that seems fair. For what humanity was doing that seemed seemed reasonable to me. So yeah, that's the only way that problem's going to be solved. Did you uh, agree or no? I mean, no. You know, I, I could. I kind of agreed with her like that from would, the get go like before like she the, started talking. I feel like the punishment should be whatever most effectively prevents us from breaking the rules again. Well, I don't know. I I kind of saw where it was going. Like I didn't think that she was just going to let whatever they suggested happen. Well, but I can fair. see. I could see the point of like that could really cripple our research if we have to. That's fair. I don't know if relating it to my work and things like that. Half the rules that are imposed on us stop us from doing our job most of the time. So it's like I could totally see that. Sounds about right. Problems. I was going to segue on to the next time she comes back. Yeah, so the second time she comes back... She's summoned the meeting this time. So she's going and feeling confident that it's in her turn. She's in a position of power. She's yep. come to share... She wanted to share the data that they retrieved from the research facility on Sidon. Paul using air quotes on the word share here. Yeah, they've already <laughs> like sterilized. Well, they haven't sterilized it, but they've made sure it is sterile. And then... Well, it's just kind of because she's like she also wants to, to negotiate with this, but yeah, she's not, like, I'm yeah. just giving this to you. She's going, but also I want to ask for these things. And they're like, which you is can't bribe bullshit. us. And she's like, this isn't a bribe. I'm just going to give you something and then ask you for something in return. <laughs> it's so annoying, but <laughs> yes, that's what happened. That's so politician. I, yeah. <laughs> that's what makes it annoying. So she goes in. You could pry that out of me later if you want, but nope, uh, <laughs> not unfair. She goes. So she goes in and uh, she gives them the data, and then that, and then she asks for, "Hey, uh, could you evaluate Anderson as a specter?" What makes their answer interesting? Everything that the council decides has to be unanimous. So all three they, council they members confer after she first gives the information before she asks for the request to have Anderson tag along with the specter and yeah. And then she asks if Anderson can be evaluated as being a specter. And the, and the Asari says, yep, meeting after, dismissed. After arguing with them for a bit, the Asari yeah. says yes. Yeah. So, like, if you weren't aware of the way, you know, like the politics and that, that they had to be unanimous on this kind of decision, you might have totally missed it. But I like it because I was didn't think to, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Until she like, walked Ooh. down the hall and was like, oh, fuck. Yep. So she's like, they kind of... Knew they knew I was going to say that. They were kind of playing me. Yeah. Which so they were arguing just for the sake of getting under my hackles, not actually arguing any point. Um, so, it kind of reminds me of one of the things they talk a lot about in our Supreme Court mm -hmm. is that the justices will ask all kinds of like baiting argue argumentative questions. And then when they do their final thing, they'll be on completely different sides than you, they, than you thought they were based on their questions a lot because they're just asking they're like playing devil's advocate for themselves and they just want to hear the people arguing before them really outline either their ideas or the, the opposing ideas and see if their ideas can actually hold salt or not so i think that's really cool and the mark of a really good intelligent debater obviously so does the book that's kind of the whole point it's a really good way of setting it up and showing you and seeing different sides of an argument whether or not like being able to argue an argument that you don't believe in can help you see perspective on things definitely and i think the way the book does it is good because it does a little bit of tell and a little bit of show more show but then she spells it out because it wasn't it was just very well written the the structure was good i i did like the, those things about the book 
not to do my wrap up or anything like that, but I was just thinking of it now. The way they discussed politics and the way they discussed species, interspecies, and race relations and things like that, I liked. But what I found a little bit missing was the science bullshit portion of the game. <laughs> Where they discuss why how science works and why these dumb gadgets and things they have work in specific ways. There's like, a lot of that, a lot more like of that in the game. A, you're right. I, I think yeah, I agree. like they had a, that's a, where you're getting, a huge right? ta- chance to talk about how biotics work, but all he really says is he summons dark energy and then throws it, which uh, I almost felt was too much for ma- me. I got it. It's magic. Yep. <laughs> you know, but exactly. In, the, in the game, in... I, that's like my favorite part about this game is the way they explain all the their dumb science. That's what I oh, like really? about sci-fi. The way they explain all the tech is super explained. Yeah, how they explain biotics, how the become, weapons work, and and things like don't that. become really. They don't really go into how or why biotics work until like the, the end of the second, third game, if I remember right. And that's something I thought was missing from this book that I was kind of sad about. It's like a one percent of the one percent of the one percent of of the one percent species oh, okay. are are biotic and like. There's no Biotic Krogan and a bunch of other stuff. So it's kind of like, did either of you guys watch Babylon 5? I watched a little bit, but huh. found it kind of hard to go back that far in time. I would like to. The way they it. treat uh, telepaths in that series is kind of, yeah. So I think maybe you will, where we're getting there, but one of the things that I think was interesting, and so a quick little antidote, me and Polly were playing the game a couple weeks ago, and Polly was like, that's weird. How many hours do you think are in an intergalactic day anyway, right? <laughs> and 20. I was like, I don't know. And so I pulled up the wiki and was like, hey, it turns out there's 20 and it's this many minutes. And I was like, that seems really weird and obscure. I wonder where that actually comes up. And like the next day I got to the point in the book where yeah. he's talking about how he set his, sets his alarm and goes into this whole spiel about how the calendar system works. And it just, you know, throws off. That is funny. I got <laughs> I to like, that part in the book like yesterday, but um, I, I remember that. I was like, oh, okay. And there we have it. So there were a couple of things like that in the book where they just went into those extra little details, almost fan servicey, like it, yeah. trying to give extra geeky but backstory to things. I like all that. Like, I would have liked more of it, really. They I talk like about... Stuff. It's just they, they, I felt they that would have added technology more... In it. They talked about the worlds. They talked about the people. They talked about all this stuff, but technology didn't get a big part in this. That's true, yeah. I mean, the bio explanation is the only one I can remember offhand or maybe the explanation of how the assault rifle folded up yeah a little bit they had that whole vehicular combat part about it and they didn't really talk about anything other than like okay it's a van and that one's <laughs> a buggy I get yeah. it <laughs> sure I really liked what Will brought up to me earlier which is that the refinery mission felt exactly like a mission from the game yeah uh, there's a lot of things like lot, that, yeah. like yeah. the collapsing of the gun. Yeah, that felt like that just felt a like thing to throw in. A, thing. Yeah. yeah, I guess there really isn't much more to say about that. Oh, I could collapse it up into one of the two gun slots that I have. Like what? what? <laughs> why <laughs> do you? <laughs> one on the why left you, and one on the right. Why do you have two gun slots? What is that? What? <laughs> That yeah, is, they, not translate. now that I think about it, they did talk a little bit about body armor and stuff like that. I thought that was cool. So, okay. They had some of that in that game. I, the, they talked the about, game. like, percentages of the shield. That stuff, I was like, oh, well, this is kind of more video gamey. I like the technology when they're explaining the technology for its own sake. I don't yeah. like it as much when they're like, and here's the justification for why he's got a health bar. Yeah. Uh, One of my final notes, Callie is a boring character. Yeah. I think we kind of Did talked she, about it. Yeah, I guess that's really all there is to be my said. My problem with Callie is she got damseled, and my problem with Anderson is he turned into that like whatever the opposite of yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it just didn't it really feel... like I thought this book. 
I was liking it at the beginning, and that kind of didn't ruin it for me. It totally was, I thought it was just a dumb fun book. The Neil Beckman, whatever it's called. Yeah, the the like the Burner Beckman test. The thing is, or whatever. she didn't have to be a, a dull character. She yeah, she could have been twelve. That would have been better. Not He's adult a, character. Adult. Oh. Character. You're going to get oh. on me about that, but he said he has a <laughs> antidote and it's fine. That's okay. Fair <laughs> enough. She didn't have to be an adult character. Go on. Yeah, she didn't have to be a dull character, but she turned out to be because all, after, after all she got off on her own, she goes to her dad's house and then she does a lot of crying and she gets captured. It's like Honestly, all of the characters were kind of dull, except for maybe Grissom and Saren. Yeah, Saren was good. Like, don't get me wrong. I talked like how he's evil and everything like that, but I thought he was really good in the book. He was probably my favorite part of the book. I'm pretty sure you saw all you're ever going to see of Grisham. Well, that's sad. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's not much I mean, there, and I mean, he seems like he was going to be a really cool guy. Yeah, he did some cool shit, but they just like he just kind of ended him. up being a dad. Yeah. One of the things that I really liked about the Halo books is that the Master Chief was effectively devoid of personality. And oh, but sorry, like, what Halo? <laughs> that he was. <laughs> God damn it. He was basically on a mission that made it much more of like a military book. There was never, there would never be a part of any of the Halo books where the Master Chief was like distracted by a girl or anything else. I'm not what saying I, Anderson had to be a robot either, <laughs> but it just didn't make it didn't make sense to his narrative to me to like. Yeah, I, I agree. Like just because he just had a divorce doesn't mean he needs to stop doing everything he was doing and all of a sudden fall in love again. But yeah, it's like he didn't even care about his. Well, from what we saw, yes. they didn't yeah. show us any, give us any reason to, that, that he even and, cared about his wife. And after playing the beginning of Mass Effect, I was like excited about finding out like, how did he almost become a Spectre. But no, he didn't almost become a Spectre. He had he the just chance it away. given to him, and then he's just like, oh, there's this girl who's going to go to this re- secret research base at the end anyway. So well, I ooh. wanted to ask her through the dance. Like, so. If that's the case, he should have ended up not where he is as an admiral. He should have ended up as Grisham-esque old drunk guy. Yeah. visit that Volus bartender I was also interested in the different kind of alien drinks yeah I wish they'd talk more about that that's the technology I wish they explained there's a bar in every game well at least one bar in every game multiple bars shit goes down in every game and then bar in this book and I wonder if that continues it's like it's just a Two good setting three bars in this book several bars Bars are a big multi-bar. thing in the mass. Multi-bar. <laughs> multi-bar. Corbin, <laughs> <laughs> multi-bar. <laughs> Did we like already... a pinball pub crawl. Multi-bar. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> nice. That was, yep. I'll, get, I'll give you that one. I think we talked about it briefly, but I, I, I keep thinking about it. And you're right, it is pretty cool that characters from the game are mentioned only briefly in this, with the exception of Anderson. Who's, who's the characters in the game? That are mentioned briefly. In all three books, I think Shepard's name shows up under three times. Hmm. I didn't notice that. It's never mentioned. In, well, obviously, it's never mentioned in this because it's before Shepard's oh. uh, alive. Yep. <laughs> He's a wee nothing. <laughs> he or she. And then it's just, you know, completely ungendered in the book. And so, like, the ambassador's different. It's replaced by that point in the game. Udina's in the book. Yeah, it's just, like, separate. It's or, cool. Yeah. Udina is in the book? Sorry, Adina is in the the game, not oh. in the oh. the book. I was wondering, and because uh, uh, mm. I, I guess the point is, Captain Callie shows up, like that, right? Callie shows up late. Oh, in the game, like Mass Effect two or three. Oh, interesting. Like three, I think. Excited about that now. I guess what's cool to me is that Can you, you shoot her. Would have been. 
I just like <laughs> not, I don't have anything against her. I just like shooting people in games. Saren. Uh, I don't have anything. Ag- do. Oh yeah, that was the other one. I don't have anything against her, I, but I do want to shoot her. I just want to see if I can. It's shoot a her. strong interest of mine. So I like Skyrim. I like to murder. Do you have that like kid murdering mod? <laughs> You don't have to answer that on the air. (laughs) (laughs) According to the state of Washington, like, what? (laughs) Yeah, and I guess the summary question would be, what did we think of Mass Effect as a book? Considering you've played more of the game. I thought it was a good addition to the book. I think I read it at, like, a good good time. You could either read it before the book. I feel, feel like reading it, even though it's a prequel, reading it before the game would be a little bit too much. I feel like starting the game and then reading the book is yes. like a fun little addition to it. A little side story, give you a little bit more details. Fun, like it's my equivalent to like a summer action flick. It's it's dumb, fun. It's not like you don't have to think too much about it or anything like that. But it's a fun little mission, like a, a prequel DLC book of some sort. <laughs> this is like the comic precursor, except longer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't. I never read the comic precursor, but I. It's more like. No. I, yeah. I just mean a like Mirror's oh. Edge had one. Tomb Raider had is one. They're like a Mass Effect comic, and I isn't it called Precursor or something like that? <laughs> Mass Effect <laughs> Precursor, the most straightforward titled comic ever. <laughs> I might be wrong about that. It might be called. I'm looking it up. Let's find out. I mean, I enjoyed it. If I knew nothing about the games, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much. Like the fan servicey things, could have been helpful so yeah i thought it was fun say like uh 2.75 out of five okay very similar to how you think about it i I feel like this game is like popcorn science fiction it's just like just consuming it because it's there kind of thing not going out of my way i picked up this book first because i really liked the games and just kind of wanted more and felt like they just it was just supplemental. It wasn't its own thing. It, it, that's really how it, it feels. I kind of think about... So Orson Scott Card wrote Ender's Game. He had this huge hit in Ender's Game. And then, then its sequel did pretty good to Speaker for the Dead. But then he keeps, keeps writing books in the series. And as an idiot, I will fucking read every single thing in this series. But none of them hold a candle to the to kind of revelations and, and the... Uh-huh. I said, huh, because you said revelations. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of amazing shit that happens in those first two books is just not replicated. And it's funny because he's got, he does like writing classes and he talks about that exact thought that, you know, you can do all these things and here's the rules to make a good book. And, you know, you can break the rules and do this kinds of thing. And this is how you make the, the perfect thing. And even as the guy who knows how to do this, he still can't recreate it. It's almost like, I, ironically i feel like stephen king the same way he's got one or two like really good books and then he just keeps writing hoping that the next one is just going to happen to be the next big thing too he's but talked he's about how like good... the dark tower is like the main thing that he considers himself ever to have written but he really doesn't like the first book that he wrote in the yeah. dark tower series because he was young and didn't have his ideas right he, he said about it but um... yeah but i, I mean he's like, like he still keeps pulls creating off good books every now and then like, yeah some of them are terrible well i mean you you keep I'm not yeah. saying that. I don't know if any are terrible. I'm not saying that this book or any of the other books are bad. I've read bad books, and I don't think this was one of them. It's not special, like you know. It's only a big literary. It's scale only of for note. Magnificent it's, books and terrible books, and there's a huge gap in between. Well, that's true. But this book in. is only notable because it builds affinity for that universe, 
And I, I think you're completely right about the like spending a little bit of time in Mass Effect 1 and then reading the book. That is the best way to go into this book. That's what I've done. And it kind of, reading the book was one of the only things, I hear people talk about Mass Effect all the time, but reading the book was kind of one of the only things that really made me think warm, fuzzy, I want to go back to that game thoughts. And it kind of reminded me, oh yeah, there's there's interesting things going on and it kind of built on that narrative. Yeah. And I do want to pick up the comic books too because I'm hoping that I'll get similar Let me read you the subtitles of the comic books. Volume 1, Redemption. (laughs) Volume 2, Evolution. Volume 3, Invasion. (laughs) And then there's an Incursion and Inquisition. Then there's Homeworlds. And don't you dare forget, Blasto, Eternity is Forever. <laughs> what? <laughs> which is, is a one-off, but sounds awesome. Is, it like is that Blasto, the, the, the Hanar? There's also Foundation, which is a hell of a title to throw on the end of anything science fiction. Is that the Hanar Spectre one? There's, that's a yeah, thing. it is. <laughs> How in the world did you know that? It's, it's a thing from... Like a superhero dog. Blasto sounds like a character from Fallout. The, like a pill you'd take. They have a buddy cop. They have a, an advertisement for a buddy cop thing, which is a Hanar and a, a Elcor. Elcor, <laughs> I don't know if you've gotten far enough in the game to be. The Elcor are these big race who's like, sucking sarcastically. Yeah, those guys. Yep. Do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> and then the the Hanar That's are the like the video jellyfish game thing movie that should be made. Yeah. Anyway, that uh, would be awesome. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yes. Um. And one other thing I left out about my summary of the book is that normally I'm really good, I'm fine with gore in books. This book's gore was kind of intense. What? Really? Really? I thought so. I don't know if it's part of it I was listening to while I was in Hawaii on a beach, so it's not the right setting for crazy gore, but like some of it, the way they described people burning and things like that was like... At the refinery? Yeah. Here's some of it. It was kind of intense. For some reason, burning isn't a thing for me. That just means you haven't been burned. The whole like melting flesh thing and crushing uh, and open bones and, like, and that kind of stuff. Was, That's was, the stuff that there was a lot of people bleeding out and like choking on their own blood and things like yeah, that. That last that scene was stuff. pretty graphic. Yeah. And even at the beginning, like when she when Callie first beats up that fake uh, military police officer to talk about her like stomping and breaking each of his finger oh, yeah. bones, cracking his jaw, and then making sure that he cracking it again to make sure that he can't move. <laughs> I don't know. It was well. I thought it was a little intense. I agree. So kind of for me to wrap up, I I guess the kind of most damning thing about this book for me is that this is the second time I read it and it was only like a week or two ago that I finished it the second time. And Will doesn't remember anything Before we started talking about it, I had a hard time remembering anything. Yeah. I think the thing about this book is it's just forgettable. If I were to rate it, which I might as well because I've been... You just said that. Using my objective scores for a subjective medium or whatever. Anyway. <laughs> um, subjective we should canon. invent an acronym for that. <laughs> this feels well, somewhere like between a four and a five to me. Out of on, five? On a one to ten. Oh. All right. So you're right around like, me. I think I'm closer to like a four. So Did this book suck? This this book did not suck. I actually, Ooh. like, really, honestly, I liked, I will say I liked that I had a little bit of context with Mass Effect in the video game first before going into this book but i'm also really glad that i didn't finish or that i have not finished mass effect and was able to get through this entire book first because yeah i feel like this warmed me up for it kind yeah of. and it's it's partly like i like i know a little bit about some of the characters in mass effect and like where they've come to and so like kind of seeing how they got there like just a little bit of like their background history 
in the book is really cool for me and it, it almost fits in my opinion really well like movies do this all the time where you'll start out with a storyline you see someone's character and they might even just throw you into it and then later on in the movie there's some part where they're pondering about their past and then they you know do a little trip in back in time and you see some stuff about them and you learn about them that way so it tied in really well with my gameplay right now with mass effect and so i'm i'm even more stoked to finish mass effect yeah i mean i think i pretty much said what i was thinking which is i i should i probably should not have hosted because like you i could just i finished it yesterday on the plane and i could just feel the details melting away into happy oblivion you did a wonderful job hosting well or whatever your name is i already forgot your name You're as forgettable as the first Mass Effect book as a host. Uh, um, That's totally going to be a thing. We're we're, make, we're bringing subtitle? that in. God damn, that girl was fine, except she was as forgettable as Mass Effect One. <laughs> we got to remember the subtitle, otherwise it sounds like you're talking about the first game. It's either or Revelation that, or Retribution or Redemption, one of those three. It's re something. Yeah, I mean, Paul I thought it, nodding. it's good at like building your affinity for the universe that you've already experienced a little bit of. That's like the best use case for the book. Yeah, it, I can't it, imagine you wanting. You can't just read this book. Like the yeah, yeah. I tried Mass Effect. I read that first book, and then no, I wasn't. Feeling nah, it. I wasn't. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, like, it's, it's not, <laughs> yeah. not, not a really thing. Do. Not a thing. But we'll see because uh, my sister is going to read this. So. Huh. We're gonna. Uh, I will follow up somehow what? with you guys on that. Is she big into sci-fi, or maybe I'll mention it on our Mass Effect podcast? Yeah, she likes sci-fi a lot. Oh, cool. I'm not gonna rate it. It's all right. Uh, okay. Um, if it were a race, what race would it be? Seven out of ten. Would this game? Or would this? Would this game? Would it this would book be, be better as on a the D scale? It, it would be the Indianapolis Five Hundred. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, this book would be a chaotic neutral. Uh, maybe this book is neutral neutral because it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's neutral neutral. <laughs> Even though I don't think that's a thing. We should totally rate on a on a two D scale. I agree with that, but what would our two Ds be? <laughs> a two. We'll D think scale? about that for the future. Yeah, that, that's something to think about. I guess that's all for now. Until next time. This brings us to the end of another awesome episode of the Emotive Pixels podcast. If you want more from us, you can find us on iTunes and at our webpage, www.emotivepixelspodcast.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash emotivepixels or follow us on Twitter at emotivepixels. And as always, keep Keep on playing. playing.